Hey, um, so when we're having some time like that and having some conversations, did you have any deep ones? Any deep conversations? Of course not, right? We've only got a couple of minutes just to say, hey, and how was your week and all that. And uh, it's, it's really, that time is not intended for that. That's kind of obvious, isn't it? However, church has sometimes painted a picture that that's it. That we come together, we just kind of have a nice big circle, as we would call it, big circle time, and, and uh, friendly, and uh, everybody's uh, nice. Of course, um, I don't know, any, was anybody mean during that uh, kind of meet and greet time? All right. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's the picture of what we've called church. And yet I think that God calls us to something different. Someone reminded me yesterday the acronym of FINE. Have you heard that? It comes from a movie. And uh, FINE means freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. <laughs> so when people say, how you doing? FINE. Cool, me too. <laughs> You're fine, I'm fine, we're all fine. <laughs> You're real fine, in fact. <laughs> you know, um, it is not so much that uh, a one-word answer is good enough. That is not what God created us for. We speak a lot in this environment, in this culture about small circle relationships. You've heard me say it many, many times. And I think it's important for us to to ask the question, why? I find myself going back to Genesis a lot. Have you noticed? Because I think it's important for us to understand the motive of the inventor, the why behind the creator. Wouldn't it be cool to interview Orville and Wilbur and say, why? What was in your mind when you, when you b- took the time to invest in this, this uh, air machine that was going to get you only a few hundred feet on the first round? What were you thinking? What were you hoping? Why were you doing this? What were your dreams? Uh, why Ben Franklin were you standing out there in the rain and with the key and I know you were trying to test electricity and, and all that stuff but what did you dream about when you were doing that so I think it's important for us to go back to Genesis a lot to ask Adam sometimes what were you thinking why did you do that God, why did you do it this way? Why so creative? Why so, so, so much variety? And in this case, why was it that you made us in the first place? Because if we can understand that why, we will understand the what. We'll understand what to do. If, a car, if, a, if a, an inventor created a, or made a, a race car to run at 155 miles an hour, then there was a purpose, and then we'll know what to do with that car. If we only understood that, well, I guess he made the car to, just to go up to 40 miles an hour, we'll never hit the highest optimum potential of that car. And if we miss the why of why God made us, the purpose of why he made us and put us here on the planet, I promise that the what won't fall into place. And if we don't get the what, we won't discussing the hows, not even an issue. So it's important for us to back up. Genesis chapter 1 this morning and verse 26, when God made Adam, he said these words familiar to many of you. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. 
if you're reading that for the first time, you may think, is God talking about like angels since it's plural? Is God talking about some kind of heavenly beings? Were there other humans somewhere else? When he says, let us make God, um, let us make man in our image, the mystery, the profound mystery is that God was speaking of himself singular and yet three persons all in one. I say it often. If you can figure that out, let's meet after our service today and you can explain it all to me because I've been trying for a long time how to explain, how to wrap our heads completely around what we would call theologically the Trinity. That means that God is one God. He says it throughout all scriptures and yet at the same time, he is three persons, the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. So when we are made in his image, we get a why. We actually, I'm going to say, we get the big why in this moment that we are created in the image of a relational God, a God that was in relationship with the Holy Spirit, the Son, and the Father way beyond your mind can even travel back eternity past. And he says, man, this relational thing is amazing. Let's create a human race in this image. And the why is that we were created for relationships, period. Make that a comma. We were made for relationships, comma, intimate relationships. You see, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit weren't just, I'm fine. I'm doing good. See you next week. Oh, no. They didn't spend a weekend retreat together. They didn't spend three and a half years like Jesus did with the disciples. They didn't spend 10,000 years, 10 million years, 10 billion years. Am I racking up some brain points here with you? 10 trillion years, 10 gajillion years, there was eternity in this long-standing relationship that became intimate. That's our first why. Now we fast forward. Thousands of years, Jesus is praying for us. We use this scripture a lot also, John chapter 17 and verse 20. Jesus says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message. That's us. The message that has rippled out for a couple of thousand years and has landed right here in this place in our hands. The message that Christ is the Savior of the world, that we cannot and should not work to earn our way to heaven, that Christ came in the form of a man, laid himself on a cross, the message that we can't work, but it's God's work in us, that God had a finished work on the cross that we can say, I embrace that as my righteousness, my rightness with God instead of me trying to be right with God through my own effort and the power of Christ being risen from the dead. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ that he's talking about that ripples to us after all these thousands of years He's praying for us that through the message that we receive, that all of them, us, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. You see, when this is the thing that Jesus prayed for, 
just like God created us for the thing to be in relationship, would it surprise anyone that Jesus is praying for the same thing? Top of my prayer list for those in 2012 that they will be one, they will experience this unique intimacy with one another just as you and I, Father, are one. Our saying is this, that nobody can have what Jesus prayed for. Nobody can have that with everybody, but everybody can have it with somebody. This was the intent of Christ. He didn't have it with everybody. He wasn't one, just like he was with one with the Father, with all the crowds. Even with his own 12, there were three, and then there was John, and you feel this oneness. That's what Christ is is uh, calling us and, and, and praying for us to experience. I am reading, uh, I'm always reading a few books. One of the books I'm reading is called The Safest Place on Earth by Larry Crabb. And this is a profound a book. It's challenging. He talks about the lower room and the upper room. The lower room is our fine part, the freaked out, insecure, neurotic, emotional awfulness down there. The upper room is where we live and sink in rhythm with the Holy Spirit, and we're always trying to elevate, ask God to elevate us to a different height in that room instead of living in that fine room downstairs. And I love this saying, this, this passage from this book. I have it written on a piece of paper laying on my desk. I look at all the time. Larry Crabb writes these words. All substantial change depends on people experiencing a certain kind of relationship. Not just any relationship, not the fine relationship. And in your mind, when you think back in the library of the people that you've known and the changes that you've made, hasn't it been a person that's been involved? A coach, an uncle, a parent, a brother, a neighbor, someone close. You think, oh, man, I needed to hear that. Maybe it's your spouse that said, dude, you got to get your act together. Not that that's ever happened in our household. But, Steve, you got to get your act together. you got to do this. Have confidence. Be courage, you know. My wife texted me yesterday, be of good courage, my love. I'm like, Wow. I needed that person in that moment to set a fire underneath me for something that needed to happen. It's a person. You see, we think in the church we've developed this culture where we say things are, but they're really not. Have you noticed that? It's like the word fellowship. I said it. And some of you are like, oh, somebody gave me a hard time for doing that one time. I don't know, what's wrong with fellowship? There's nothing wrong with fellowship. But see, we've called fellowship, you know, having a, a turkey dinner together, chicken dinner together, or we're fellowshipping today. We've called that this. And this is not this. Although I love you. Nothing wrong with you. You're fine. But it's not what God has created us for. You see, Jesus is saying, I'm praying that they will have a relationship that's safe enough to be intimate. That's what it takes. See, as our church culture has morphed, we like to just change things around a little bit. And, and, you, and we look at it on the surface, we're like, 
that's kind of not it, but let's call it it. I, I, I came across some pictures that say it better than words. It's, it's kind of like this, for example. It's like the eagle dog. You're like, what? I've heard of a beagle, but not an eagle dog. Is that like a deagle? I don't know. But, you know, we would say that. How about the uh, squirrel husky? And you're like, it looks like a squirrel, and yet like a, it looks like kind of like what God's talking about, but not, and not to be mistaken with this next one, which is kind of like the fox cardinal. I have no words for that. That is just weird, isn't it? It's amazing what you can do with Photoshop. All right, and a couple more. Here's one. Have you seen that before? Yeah, they can, horses actually can fly. And then, uh, and finally, you got your basic crocoduck. Uh, <laughs> all right, get a hold of it. Here we go. <laughs> crocoduck. Okay, some people are leaving in the back. That's really <laughs> weird. <laughs> now, as crazy as that is, I'm telling you, we look at the church and say, let's call it that. I don't know what it is, but it's kind of morphed into that. So it's a crocoduck. All right. It's fellowship. That's what it is. It's intimate. Oh, that's small circle. Uh, you can't have a small circle when you're standing in line at Walmart just doesn't happen. Not the kind of relationship that God is calling us to. Let me say something. I've been a leader in the church for a long, long time. This is the first environment that I see what, what is happening in relationships. That, wow, that's what, it's, that's what Jesus was looking for. Let me take it a step further. They say it's lonely at the top it is. And this is the first environment that I've ever had a small circle. How about that one? 30 years in the ministry. You know why? We're being intentional. We're calling it out. We're calling the, we're calling the crocoduck what it is. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, that's a crocoduck. You're not fooling me. That's neither duck nor croc. That's neither fellow nor ship. No, that didn't work. But <laughs> that's, that's, that's not what it is. See, Jesus is saying, man, what would it look like since the church has morphed into creating pictures that are crazy, that are not really the real thing? What would it look like? And I believe so much that the scriptures give us, us pictures of how things should look. And today we look at another one. And when I, my mind travels in at least my limited knowledge of the scriptures and I'm thinking, what relationship could we put up on the screen and look at a picture and go, it looks like that. Steve, you talk a lot about small circle. What are the ingredients to that recipe? Because I, I, th- there's something in me. See, I believe there's something in all of us because God wired us that way from the beginning. Jesus prayed for us to have it. And for that, those forces coming together, there's something in you and me, every individual sitting in this room that's saying, either I know that because I've experienced it or I haven't experienced it, but man, there's something inside. I'm like, dude, I want that. It's just, 
It's, it's more than going out for drinks on Friday night with the, the crew at work. And then, yeah, we kind of have, some, we were laughing or having fun, but I certainly don't feel safe enough to say certain things. Because I'll ask people, so, hey, you're in an act group, you're in a small group, good. So what are you guys talking about? Are you talking about that? Yeah, you're talking about that. Well, have you talked about this? Oh, no. I, I wouldn't say that in an act group, and you probably shouldn't. You see, there are certain environments that are not quite safe enough. It's only when you get down to that one-to-one level where you think, man, that is gold. So in my mind, I'm thinking of what the picture, and my, my mind travels to David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan have a very unique story in the Bible. And as we read this story, you're going to see three parallels. There were two stones, there were two wounds, and there were two sets of clothing in this story. Now, that may seem kind of cutesy, but I'm telling you, the pictures that we see in this story are critical. I'll tell you why I say the word critical. They're critical because it is my proposal to you that if you live the rest of your life and never experience the thing that Jesus prayed for, that you may be one with somebody like the Father and Jesus were one, and that you never experienced that intimate relationship on a spiritual level with someone. And I'm not referring to your husband or wife in this case, although I have that, that closeness and intimacy with my wife, Carrie. I'm talking about, is there another man in your life, talking to men, is there a, women, is there a woman in your life that can speak into your life and that you feel safe? And my proposal, that it's critical, that if you live the entire rest of your life and you never experience that, your race car will never run to optimum level. Now, will God love you? Of course. Will you experience some sense of purpose and fulfillment in your life? Of course. But if you're like me, once you begin to experience it and feel safe enough, you think, wow, I didn't know that car ran that fast. See, this is a gift. This is not a command that God, this is a gift that God is saying, oh, Jesus, of all the things he could have prayed, he could have prayed, oh, God, I pray that by the end of their life, there will be Bible encyclopedist. Is that a word? It is now. I pray, God, that they will just have it all together and know the scriptures from beginning to end. That's my prayer. Or I'll pray that they will have every single spiritual gift of the Holy Spirit. And man, they will be scintillating fireworks. I mean, it'd be amazing. Of all the things that Christ prayed for, he prayed for the why we were created, that they will be one. So if we miss it, we've, I'm telling you, your race car is only parked in the garage. Here we go. David and Jonathan. You know the story, perhaps. If you don't, let me give you a backdrop. The first king of Israel, his name was Saul. God asked them, encouraged them, challenged them not to have a king. But they wanted to be like all other nations. And so they said, we're going to have a king. They picked someone of tall stature. His name was Saul. And yet it went to his head. To be honest, his pride got the best of him, and he headed south. 
the second king of Israel. His name was David. David became quite popular, as we'll see right away, and that bothered Mr. Fine Saul, who was freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, as we'll see in the story. The interesting thing is that David's small circle relationship happened with someone close to Saul, Saul's son, Jonathan. So we pick it up in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you want to turn with me there, 1 Samuel chapter 17. David inflicted a, a wound on Goliath. It was a mortal wound, if you know the story. He took a small stone, embedded it into the forehead of Goliath, this giant, and the, and the giant was killed. And so we begin by looking at two wounds. You see, when you read the story on the surface, you say, wow, that's the wound right there. But I would propose to you that there was a deeper wound who, that was taller than Goliath, and it's a wound that we each carry on the interior of ourselves. What happened was that David was the eight of eight sons to his father, Jesse. The three oldest sons were warriors, and they were fighting against the enemy, the arch enemy, the Philistines, of whom Goliath was a part of. And so we pick it up in 1 Samuel 17 and verse 17. Now Jesse, David's father, said to his son David, Here, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to the camp. You see, David, because you're the runt of the litter and you're not a warrior, by the way. In fact, you're the gopher. And I need you to take this grain and this, this bread and these supplies. And I need you to run out to your brothers who, by the way, are warriors and stronger than you are. And you begin to pick up the fact that David wasn't one of the favored of the sons in this group. Now, he arrives on the scene. There's a lot of buzz of what's going on here. And he hears the word Goliath and giant and everybody's afraid. And he begins, David begins to ask what's going on. When Eliab, which is in verse 28 of 1 Samuel 17, with Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard David speaking with other men, kind of asking about Goliath and what was going on. He burned with anger at him, and he asked David, why have you come down here? And with whom do you leave those, did you leave those few sheep that you should be watching in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle punk. Hey, it's good to see you guys too. I brought some roasted grain and I'm fine now. You begin to pick up this picture that something is happening in with the father that he wasn't good enough to go on the battlefield. He's just going to carry grain and bread and, and goods and supplies. And then he gets to his brother and all of a sudden you get the picture a deeper, higher wound because the wound that we carry on our interior comes from those who have been closest to us. It may be a father. After 30 years in ministry, I'm telling you, you have no idea when I ask the question of someone who's broken, what was your relationship with, with your dad? What was that like? And I see tears well up in their eyes and their, and their head drop. And they don't have to say another wound, a word. 
because I can feel the wound. You see, there, this wound can come from an experience. It can come from an uncle. It can come from a, an abuse situation. It can come from anything. But let me tell you, here's what we all have in common today, even though we're unique. We all have a wound of some type that we have from somewhere. And David does what we often do in verse 29, 1 Samuel 17. And he says to these guys, his brothers, now what have I done? Can I even speak? Now watch. He then turned away to someone else to have the same conversation. He brought the same matter and the men answered him like his brothers did. You see, what happens is that the wound, wherever it comes from, is so tough and so painful that we like, oh, dude, I don't want to get close to that. That's why some people, maybe some of you, have a tough time calling God Father because that word just evokes in you and it scrapes the scab off a wound that you're like, I'll call him God, but I can't call him Father. That wound runs too deep for me. And what I'll do is I'll turn to something else. I'll turn to an addictive behavior. I'll find comfort in sexual relationships. I'll find comfort in everything except what God created me. Because, see, I was looking for intimacy. I was hoping that I would have it with my dad or my mom or my brothers. But the wound, okay, so I won't do that anymore. So when we're speaking of small circle relationships, there are times I can feel, that feels unsafe. I get it. God gets it. Because even though we can wound on the outside with the things that we're able to do, there's a greater wound inside that's much taller than Goliath. And God understands. In the book Wild at Heart, John Eldridge writes these words, every wound, every wound delivers with it a message. The message feels final and true, absolutely true, because it is delivered with such force. Our reaction to it shapes our personality in very significant ways, and from that flows the, the false self. I'm fine. We, Eldridge calls it posing. When deep down you'd like at least one safe enough relationship where you could say, man, I'm wounded. And begin to to see what God, see, it's how we react to that. And so often in life, and I'll blame us as the church to say, man, if we've called a crocoduck, like, oh, that's that's actually a duck. No, it's not. It's a crocoduck. We've called relationship, we've called, oh, that's relationship. And someone somewhere needs to stand up and say, no, it's not. Let's call it what it is. God's called us to something deeper, to a relationship that is safe enough. That wound can be slain just like Goliath. It can be through God's help and through the relationships that he's created us to have. Now let's turn to the, the, the clothing. That's one component. Recognizing that we're all wounded. Oh, you have no idea how wounded I am, really. You see, I grew up with a dad whom I loved. My, my dad was killed in a car accident in 2001. And uh, we, 
we loved each other. I had a good relationship with my dad. But my dad was uh, old school, 50s and 60s and kind of the leave it the beaver culture. And uh, in that culture, you were rarely asked, how'd that make you feel, Steve? Hey, let's go out and have some one-to-one time. I, I'm out biking with my kids now and throwing Frisbee. I literally can't remember one time I had that with my father. That just wasn't the way he rolled back then. And then his grandfather, dude, it was worse than that. It's 4 a.m., get, get up, let's go working out in the garden, out in the farm. That's the way it rolled. Well, I'm sick. I don't care if you're sick. We're working today. How do you feel? Really? That question wouldn't hit the radar. So even though I have a good relationship and fond memories of my dad, it was not what God created us to be in that relationship. I'm having to learn that. I'm having to learn to say, let's change that. When David came to King Saul and said, hey, I'll slay the giant. Here's what happened in 1 Samuel 17, verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. So he took this, his, his armor off. He put a coat of armor on him and a, a bronze helmet and on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic. And he tried walking around, but because he was not used to them, he says, I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. So Saul takes off his tunic, and then he gives him an armor, a helmet, um, uh, and um, then he gives him a sword and all that stuff, right? So he gives him a little bit of stuff, but he forces. See, there's no relationship here between David and Saul in this moment. They just met, hey, I'm fine, you're fine, here's an armor, poof, and puts it right on him. Now, see, in the process of time, David meets Jonathan. His Saul's son. And here's what we read in 1 Samuel 18, chapter, verse 1. After David had finished talking to Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. Do you recognize the language? Do you remember what Jesus prayed for? I pray that there'll be what? One. He became one in spirit. Now watch, notice what happens after this. And a few verses later, 1 Samuel 18, verse 4, Jonathan took the robe he was wearing and he gave it to David. He didn't force it on him. Along with his tunic, his sword, his bow, his belt. Now let me, let me show you the picture here. David comes to Saul, doesn't even know him. And he says, here's my tunic and an armor, may not even fit, don't even know what your needs are. Here's a helmet, and you see this little guy walking around with this big thing. He didn't take the time to even get to know him, what his needs were. Here's your deal. See, in relationships like Jonathan and David, they became one in spirit first, and then Jonathan gave him the tunic and gave him the sword, gave him all these things, didn't even put him on. If you need this, I'm here for you. I perceive that this is something that you need. Here's the second ingredient of a small circle relationship. You cannot have a shortcut in a small circle relationship. You see, we're a shortcut microwave society. We know all that, right? And man, I'd like, can you give me a small circle relationship by next Thursday? Because I'm going through something tough. Not going to happen that way. I'm reading another great book called Relational Intelligence. 
And this guy opens the book up by telling about his first dating experience when he was 14 years old. And so he was really nervous, and uh, he was like, man, what am I going to say? He invited the girl over to, the, to his house. The parents were there, and so everything was cool. And he was like, man, I, I, I just don't, I don't have any kind of ability to carry on a conversation. So he said, got an idea. I'll, I'll rent a movie. And that way it will take up at least two hours of the date where we don't have to say anything to each other. And uh, I'll, I'll rent a romantic comedy. And so that was the plan. So the, the girl comes over, 14, both of them, sitting on the couch, the parents in the kitchen, and they're watching the movie. And, and near the end of the movie, now he starts to feel sweat coming up on his forehead. And he's like, oh, gosh, now i got to talk. Um, and so I'm not sure what to say. So the movie ends, and so he turns to the girl and says, well, uh, how did you like the movie? And, and she says, oh, I, I like the movie very much. How, how did you like the movie? And he said, oh, I, I like the movie very much. And he said, that was it. I had no more material. I had nothing to say. So I sat there on the couch, and, and I was nervous. And so I, I, I took my arm, and I put it around her. And my hands were really clammy, and I took my clammy hand, and I, I put it on hers. And I could feel my heart racing, and I turned to her, and I said, I love you. (laughs) And there was the awkward silence, and she said, thank you. (laughs) And he said, in that moment, as I look back, I had no relational intelligence. People say to me, man, I hear you talking about these close relationships that are safe enough. I don't have one. Are you in an act group? Nope. That's it. I know that seems very formulaic. And and it doesn't guarantee just because you get in a small group of 10 to 12 people it's going to happen. But I guarantee you if you don't, you won't. You've got to come into the relationship. You know why Jesus was close to John? Because they traveled as an act group for three and a half years. You see, what happens when you come down and you draw on the circle, you say, oh, you know, I had a cool relationship with someone that I was in this, this small group. That was kind of cool. Hey, you wanted to do coffee, and then you do coffee. And you know, I'm developing a small circle relationship with a 30-year-old. On the scale meter of or, or safe-o-meter uh, of safe enough, I'm going to say we're maybe at about a six. We've been out for coffee 12 times. You can't make this a microwave. When Jonathan became one in spirit, it took time. And then he saw, ooh, you need a tunic. And by the way, that one fit. He kept it. Finally, this story is very uh, surrounded or, uh, or envelops a stone. You see, David sprang onto the scene here with a very small little rock, a little stone. And uh, my guess is that when there were thousands of people singing David's praises, just being human, he was like, Yeah, I'm the guy. <laughs> I killed a giant with a small stone. I have it here in my pocket. I don't know if I dug it out of his head, and here it is. You see, we like to be known, particularly men, 
by the things we do, the things that we can accomplish. Yeah, I'm playing keys in the band. We like that feeling. When men come together at a party, what's the first thing we ask? We know the question, right? What do you do? Because what you do is who you are. And if you do something great, you are great. And David, like, I'm great because I killed something big, someone big, with a little stone. It's in my resume. Don't know if you... There's a PBS special on the David and the Little Stone. Don't know if you've seen it. That's who I am. But see, there was such a greater stone in David's life and yours and mine that we'd rather not put on our resume. Here's the way the story unfolds. Saul got really envious, really fine with David. And he says, man, I can't stomach the fact that he's getting more praise than I am. I got a plan. It's a fine plan. I'm going to kill him. And so he begins to plot and to attempt murder on David's life because Saul, because Jonathan and David were knit and small circle. Jonathan said, let me take care of that for you. Let me help you. David confessed in that moment, a need. He says to Jonathan in 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 3, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there's only one step between me and death. Jonathan said to David, he said, whatever you want me to do, I'll do for you. You know what David was saying there? I need you, man. I need you. Do you know how hard that is for a man to say to another man, man, I need you. I really, really need you. That is so tough. It's like a monumental stone of separation. In, in this book by Larry Crabb, Safest Place on Earth, we're going to skip ahead just one. He says this, Most often we engage each other in ways that fall short of what the Spirit desires. I suspect it has to do with the requirement of brokenness. Watch, we'd much rather be impressively intact than broken. Can I say that again? We'd much rather be impressively intact than broken. I am the guy with the small stone impressively intact, right? How's your week? Fine. How's everything going? Great. For me to sit in front of another guy and say, man, I got to tell you something. I got a wound. I'm working through it. It's affecting how I'm treating my wife, my kids. We've spent a lot of time here together. I'm going to take a deep breath and feel safe enough here and say something to you. I need you. See, there's one step between my marriage failing or my kids falling apart or whatever that is. But see, when our life is impressively intact or even just intact, we miss the need no matter how much, how many things are going right. There's a need. You can't do it. Remember, we're created in our image. 
We're created in this relational image. And man, when it comes to that point, you say, oh, I need you. And the other guy says, wow, I can't handle that. Get away. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, wow, really? And you begin to drill deep with this thing. I'm telling you, your Lamborghini picks up in RPMs. And you're like, whoo, I'm feeling like I have never felt before. Wow, I kind of am starting to feel like this is why I'm created. It's a different dimension that the crack, the church of Crackaduck has missed. I think we rename our church, the church of Crackaduck. People are confused enough with the weird name 360. Let's just make it 360 Crackaducks. <laughs> here is the plot, and we end here. Watch. Jonathan said, okay, you need me. I'm going to take care of you. Whatever you need, I'm going to do. Here's, what, here's how we're going to roll. I'm going to get a little boy. He's, going to, he's an archer, and I'm going to get a, I'll find out if, in fact, what you're saying is true, that my dad is ready to kill you. If I find that's out that's true, then I'm going to tell you, you go and hide, and then I'll bring out the archer, and if I give a secret code, you'll know it's right, and you better take off because my father's hot on your trail. That's the kind of the way the story goes. Jonathan tells him, this in First Samuel 20 and verse 19. Jonathan says to David, The day after tomorrow, toward evening, go to the place where you hid when all this trouble began. You see, going back to that wound where it all began. Let's go back. Let's drill deep. And wait by the stone Ezel. You see, every name in the scripture has a meaning. It's wonderful. You know what Ezel means? Separation. You see, there is a stone in us that separates us from what God wants us to be. And we hide because of where things began, where that wound began. So David comes down. Jonathan comes down with his archer. Sure enough, he gives the secret code. Yep, my dad's hot on your trail. You better take off and watch this. Here we go. First Samuel 20, verse 41. After the boy had gone, the archer had gone, David got up. Now watch. Here's what God calls us to do. He got up from the south side of the stone. You see, I'm telling you, we live quite often on the south side of the stone, the big one, not the little one. We live on the front side of the small one, like, look what I can do. But the stone of separation that separates us from that Jonathan-David relationship. See, because all the way, even up to this point, David's saying to Jonathan, can I trust you? Can I trust you? I mean, if somebody's going to kill me, you go ahead and kill me now. That's what he said to Jonathan. You can look it up. He said, go ahead and kill me now. He's wondering. He's, he's hiding behind this rock. Am I safe enough? Am I safe enough? Is he tricking me? Can I say it? Can I go out there? And he steps out of the, he steps out of the stone of separation. And he bowed down before Jonathan three times with his face to the ground. And as the culture of that day was, he, they kissed each other and they wept together. <laughs> but David, the wounded, he wept the most. Because he had found a safe enough small circle. Do you have it? Do you have it? God calls us to this. Step forward. Say, man, I don't, 
I don't even know what an act group is, but if that's what the next move is, man, I'm getting in. And this is where how God has created you to be. I'm going to show you a film as we end today. Some of you have seen this. This is a story of two men that uh, I met down at the climbing wall. And uh, I have a new chapter revision at the end of this movie. And uh, I, uh, for those of you seeing it for the first time, this is a film of uh, Mike Souter and uh, Jim Childs. Let's take a look. My name's Mike Souter. I've been part of a men's ministry. We've been climbing the wall down at the Y. And about eight months ago, I met a guy named Jim Childs. My first impression of Jim was uh, middle-aged, out of shape, non-athletic. He really struggled climbing the wall. Uh, we got to talking, and he said he was a member at the Y and had been in there and was really not benefiting from the time that he was spending there. My suggestion was to maybe talk to a trainer, have them set him up with some sort of routine workout. After thinking about it, I decided to give him a call and take that role myself. The easy way out in this situation was where Mike was when he suggested that I go somewhere. The real jazz happened when he said, hey, let's take that extra step. Let's do the hard thing. Instead of going to the Y, he said, let me meet you there. I just, wow, you've got to be kidding. Somebody's actually taking the time, they care. I can't tell you, that was a life-changing moment for me because somebody was going to make a difference in my life. What a difference it made. It's been phenomenal for me to be able to pull up beside you and, and experience a little different a role as a mentor. All of a sudden, it went from, from just somebody I met at a wall who said, hey, let me show you how to, to get physically stronger to gaining a brother in Christ. It goes beyond the workout. I've had the opportunity to encourage him, and he's encouraged me. And more so than any is the, the fact that we've grown our relationships small. That I just gone to an instructor, I could have gotten stronger physically. I could not have gotten as strong, and I would not have grown spiritually at all. Just, just being part of it and feeling it and being part of this whole growth process shows me that I can't just be the receiver. It's time to start stepping out. And it's just been amazing, an amazing journey. And, and it will continue. Just the fact that somebody cared about me, life-changing, totally life-changing. When you're down in the climbing wall, um, the wall's about 50 feet high. And uh, the person on the ground with the rope is called the belayer. And uh, when you're up on the wall, it's a relationship where you have to feel safe enough with that person. <laughs> Only certain people can belay. I'm not one of them. Yet. <laughs> Jim and I came to the wall at the same time. And I've seen him accelerate in this relationship with... Um, with Mike and with others. And uh, he has just invested and invested and invested, taking no shortcuts. And uh, he surpassed me. 
Yesterday, I climbed the wall. I made it to the top. That's a miracle. I'm, I'm 50 foot up, and there's a guy on the... And so when you... It's the scariest moment when you're at the top, and then you're going to come down. You have to lean back. And I usually say, I ask, you got me about 10 times before I do it. <laughs> and the guy on the, on the ground yesterday said, I got gotcha. you. It was Jim Childs. You see how relationships work. You see the picture. You need somebody in your life that says, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. And then you'll live to the optimum level that God created you to be. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for who you are, for who you've created us to be. Thank you, God, that Jesus continued that desire in you to pray for us at the top of his list that we would experience the why of our being created. I say again, God, to you, on behalf of your church, we're sorry. And as silly as it sounds, God, we're sorry for all the crocodiles, all the things that we've called that really aren't. I pray, God, in this place and other places in your church, God, that you'll raise up in us people that you would look at and say, that's why I created you. That's why I made you. That's what I was praying for. I pray we'll press hard in our intentionality to reach what you've created us to be. I pray, God, that those sitting in this room that that are wounded, that the wound is taller than a Goliath that seems unslainable, unslayable, God, that you would, you would say, this is how you slay it, not alone, not through turning away, but head on with someone that you feel safe enough. I pray, God, for those who that have not experienced this type of relationship, God, that you would move them to take the next step understanding that it may take time, that it will take time for these types of relationships to develop and to build and to grow deep so that someone can say to another person, I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Thank you, Father, for this gift. Thank you, God, that you didn't ask for anything or create us for anything that we cannot attain in this lifetime. We pray, God, that we'll look at the, the relationship that you had with your son, Jesus, and we'll do everything in our fiber, in our potential, in our possibilities, God, to be like you, to be like the God in whose image we're created. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.